Like I gravitated towards instruments that were like, it was a low curve to not sounding like trash. Right, right. You know what I mean, yeah. If you pick up a drum and a drum, uh, pick up a drumstick and hit a drum, the worst you're gonna sound is like a drum. Yeah. Or like a loud drum. You know what I mean? Right. You pick up an oboe, the best you're gonna sound is like a shitty duck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, everybody and welcome to Last First Day, the podcast where I, Billy Gleason, lead guests from all over the entertainment industry back through one more perfect day of school. Why? Well, their schools happen to have reached out and told me that these students were technically one day short of graduation. I know, rubbish. However, due to my magical powers in the space of about 45 minutes to an hour each week, I can walk them through one more perfect day, get them all graduated again before the FBI come knocking on their doors, and then we've got a real problem. The podcast gets a bit different then. Now, if you've joined us before, you know exactly how this goes, and you're racing the class. If not, I highly recommend going back and checking out previous episodes. We've had Will Buxton from Formula One and Drive to Survive, Liz Hines from Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and fantastic comedians like Lisa Wallen and Wilfred Padua. But this week, we are heading south to North Carolina for our first story of musical origins, which will leave you tapping your feet in the Tar Heel State, as we are starting now, the last first day of Lewis Cato. Quick disclaimer, since Lewis and I first recorded the podcast a few weeks ago, he has dropped the first single off of his new album, Reflections, so be sure to check it out wherever you get your music, unless that place is right here, and then maybe you can check it out in about 45 minutes or so, because that would still be nice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Last First Day podcast. My guest today is the incredibly talented, Grammy-nominated band leader for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He has a new album coming out this year, and if you haven't heard his last one, go back and check it out, starting now, wherever you get your music, because it's guaranteed to bring sunshine to even the cloudiest of days. You could see him and the sensational Late Show band perform every night on CBS. I miss him dearly, so I created a podcast just to talk to him again. Lewis Cato, how are you, my friend? <laughs> Dude, I can't even with that intro. I'm going to cry tears for the second time today. Uh, it's deserved. I'm all right, my friend. I'm, I'm all right. I'm well. I'm, I'm gratefully uh, teetering around the balance of life and work mm-hmm. and gratefully so. Oh, I'm How so about you? I'm doing all right, mate. Thanks so much for asking. I appreciate it. Just sat in this basement in my house with the, the cat sleeping next to me. He's probably going to make a bit of noise as the podcast starts oh, up here. Right. But, so I'll cut that out in the edit. But yeah, everything's <laughs> fine, my end, mate. Everything's fine, my end. So, But I want the world to right. know a little bit about the legend himself, Lewis Cato. If I'm not mistaken, you were one of the day oneers over at The Late Show. Yeah. You were there for the very, very first show. What was it like to receive that call and be told that your music that you've worked so hard on for all these years is going to be showcased nightly on a comedy show? What was it like to receive that call? Oh, my gosh. It was really a clean slate. It was a blank page of epic proportions. Initially, I got called in to work on the theme song for, like, you know, the ads and things for the show. And then kind of through that experience, got called back to join the band and 
Yeah, I was really excited by the idea of coming in with a collective, having like the freedom to explore and find a new thing. Stephen was taking over for David Letterman, which meant John Batiste was taking over for Paul Schaefer. But those are all very different people. Stephen is very different than David Letterman. And in the same contrast, uh, John is very different from Paul Schaefer. So what we could do musically and what the boundaries were, the opportunity to explore that was just really exciting. How would you say in the last, well, it's been eight years now you've been on the show? Is that yeah. how long it's been now? March of uh, 2015, yeah. This may seem a bit of a loaded question, but how do you feel personally you've grown creatively across those eight years? Monumentally. It doesn't feel like a loaded question as much as just eight years of data there. <laughs> maybe the biggest ways, the limitation of working on a show like this has really been the mother of all sorts of discovery for me in terms of how I navigate the limitation. Mm. Limitation for a creative is just God's gift, you know? Yeah. Having like a deadline or like a wall or boundary, walls of the sandbox is just like, oh, okay. It becomes another tool, you know? And so I think the biggest ways I've developed accordingly have been by learning those limitations and learning, you know, how things happen in our, on our show and better understanding like what the job is and what the sandbox is. And creatively, it really fostered creative growth creative freedom, learning what my voice is and what my voice is on different instruments and my singing voice and my speaking voice, especially also because, you know, when you tape 42 weeks a year, the fluff doesn't really last. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The fluff is not sustainable. By fluff, I mean like things that are maybe outside of yourself or what is natural to you or your level of consciousness at the time, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it forces you to keep digging deeper uh, to the step that really is more towards the center of how you identify. And and those are the things that are sustainable that you can continue to draw from night after night, week after week, 42 weeks a year for eight years now. Yeah, the limitations you brought up. I once heard a story from a playwright, actually, Robert Schenkin, who once told me something that really sat with me across my career, where he said playwrights mm. in the industry, you know, playwrights, when they're coming up with a play, when they're writing something, he said, it's never finished. The project is never finished. You just have to stop. You just abandon it. Do you feel the same way in music that you never really, if you were allowed all the time in the world, you would keep working on it with all the time in the world. You're never finished at some point. You just have to stop. I think I feel the same. I sort of think of it as with music, it's not really periods as much as commas and semicolons. Mm. If you're looking for the period, you may never stop. And if you do, that's a depressing day because it's infinite. There's always more. That's a great way of putting it. Your evolution, those of us that have worked with you know it real well and are blessed to have worked with you, but you have worked alongside 
industry icons over the years. You know, you performed with Mavis Staples on The Late Show. On the very first Late Show, you performed with Mavis Staples and I know time since you've performed in studio with Jack White. You've performed with Tribe Called Quest. You've toured with Bobby McFerrin. And even, was it last year you played Madison Square Garden with Dave Matthews Band? You popped out on stage to do that. Is there... (laughs) These are all just ridiculous notes to have but is there anyone on your list that you haven't been in the presence of yet that you hope to work with someday i've been in the presence of herbie hancock Mm. but i've never worked with him i I hope to do that someday that's the big one if you could ever perform alongside him that's a huge one herbie hancock is the first that comes to mind just a mind-blowing combination for me personally of inspiration and resonance. Mm-hmm. I feel like the things that he taps into and with his unique connection to source and craft and invention, I connect to it in my past, my present, and my future. <laughs> where I, things I'm trying to go towards, the things I've learned about where I come from and who I find myself with am. It's just, it's all in there in Herbie world. So <laughs> I hope to I hope to work with him someday soon. How old were you when you discovered Herbie? Because I know you were playing instruments from when you were very, very young. I was probably about 19, 20. Mm. Shortly after I moved to Boston uh, out of high school, mm-hmm. I was playing this jazz club Wally's in Boston and a couple of his songs were kind of canon during the points where like people could come sit in. I learned them just like on the gig, but then went back to the music like a couple of years later, like, wait, where did these songs come from? And it was like, whoa, mind blown. And he's one of these guys that is like, has evolved with the times. Mm-hmm. Herbie famously recorded with Miles Davis in his legendary quintet, but also did a famous Toyota commercial in the 80s recorded with John Mayer and mm-hmm. also Jazz Stone and Carlos Santana and Joni Mitchell. And, you know, he's just gone across the board in a way that's really resonant for me, who was an appreciator of a lot of different eras and styles. So mm-hmm. did discovering him at the age of 19, then did that change your music, how you performed? Was it a feeling of that's what I want to do? Or was it just this inspiration this person you looked up to who always gave you the fuel to keep going a a bit of both i think initially my mind was just overload inspiration he's tapping into things that i just literally had not heard before Mm. sounds and chords and harmonies and melodies that i didn't know were possible i'd say both one last question i wanted to ask you about the world of jazz itself because improv is such a big piece of jazz music that you've worked in for for so long but also improv is a huge part of the comedy scene which you now work in too now that you're a part of a comedy show on a nightly basis and often asked to be in sketches you're there for the monologue every night are there any similarities between those forms of improv did jazz improv sort of help you get into the comedy world funny enough we're having this conversation with a friend of mine last night. Uh, Yeah, I think the intersection is palpable. The through line to me is presence. Mm. In neither comedic improv or musical improvisation does the art form work if you have something preset or you mail it in. Mm -hmm. Comedians will have their sticks. 
we're doing a parallel, like go to jokes and musicians will have like their licks, mm-hmm. sticks and licks. <laughs> and, uh, it's a good thing to have in your identity, like as a creative, like, you know, kind of touch points. But if you stay there, like human beings recognize that. That's one of the beautiful through lines of improvisation is like showing up for whatever happens, whatever the moment is. In the same way that Stephen talks about politicians and their stump speeches, mm-hmm. stump speeches don't work in improv. It works at a Broadway play. It can work in a classical composed piece. It can be very thoughtful, but it's not improv, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm observing a lot of those similarities in that sort of through line of presence. Same ways that I'm getting comfortable in my own skin and, and shedding, or just bringing awareness to my own licks and sticks. I guess that's the beauty of it as well is you have that wonderful band behind you every single night, often with guest musicians jumping in as well, who can jump in and make it seem like they've been there the entire time, which is phenomenal to watch. But then when you've got Nigar and India and Joe and Lewis and John and the new guy I actually haven't even, I met him briefly on the street. Sorry, what's his name? Corey, Corey Bernhard. Corey, and everything just clicks and is wonderful together and people are able to jump in. You just can't operate on an island. You can't be, this is what I'm going to do and everybody follow me because I'm not stepping out of my comfort zone. But I feel like that applied not just to you guys, the same applies for Stephen and writers and, you know, all of it is just this collaborative effort that we're all coming together to make this. And if someone's there who doesn't want to budge, the product's going to suffer really at the end of the day. There is a lot of push-pull to it. So I think jazz and comedy kind of have that in common of you you do have to keep the goalposts moving a little bit because staying in that one lane isn't going to be very interesting and people aren't going to want to keep going with you. Well, look, I could talk to you about music, the show, Herbie, until the cows come home. But I do have a real reason you're here today, and I'm sorry I have to get into it. It's so uncomfortable to bring it up every time because I lure my guests onto the podcast (laughs) with all this catch-up chat and what have you, but there's a real reason we have to talk, and uh, I'll just get into it. I'll just get into it. So your high school called me. I couldn't quite hear the name of it at the other end of the phone. What was the name of your high school? Oh, it was uh, North Stanley High School. North Stanley High School. That's right. That's right. And whereabouts in the world was that? Yeah, Stanley County, North Carolina. In North Carolina. Yeah, North Stanley. I should have noticed the area code, but I get these calls all the time, Uh, mate. There's so many of them coming through. It is what you do, yeah. It is. And and I don't know why. I don't know why these schools are just calling me constantly. It's turned into a (laughs) full-time job. So they call me from North Carolina. Billy, it's about Lewis. I was like, oh, all right, what can I do? Lewis is a gem. There's no way he's done anything wrong. They said, no, he hasn't done anything wrong. We've done something wrong. We just looked over our records. He was technically one day short of graduating high school. And we know you do this podcast. We don't have the guts to call him ourselves because we know he's really busy. He's trying to manage the band now. He's at the front of it. He's really hard to get hold of, but we know you can get hold of him. So would you mind having him on your podcast? So would you walk through one more perfect day of school with me, Lewis Cato? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. For you, Billy, I'm glad they called you. It's not for everybody. 
you know, if I catch you doing this on another podcast, the exact same thing very soon, I'm going to be very upset, very upset. So let's do it. The last first day of Lewis Cato. So Lewis, let's start with the easy one where you went to school. Yeah. So tell us about where you went to school, North Stanley. What was the school like? I went to high school at North Stanley High School, located in New London, North Carolina, mm. which is the adjacent town to my small town of Albemarle, North Carolina. My address, fun fact, when I was younger, would change. They would redraw the lines like from time to time. And so sometimes, at times my address was New London, at times my address was Albemarle. But when people ask where I'm from, I just say Albemarle. But if you know, you know that North Stanley is actually in New London, and it's like a five-minute drive from my house. But we had to take the bus to school in the morning. So I think the bus would come at around 7.25 to pick us up. And then we'd pick up all the other kids uh-huh. and then circle back around because we, were, we lived so close to where the school was. It wasn't a quick trip on the bus. It was like we were the first ones on. And then like you fill up the whole school bus. It's like an hour bus ride or whatever. Seems like maybe they didn't have the most efficient route on the bus, that they just sort of looped around when everyone was ready, just herding everyone together, and then eventually... You you probably went by your own house six times before you actually... Oh, yeah, well, it definitely passed by your own... And I never thought about it like this until just now, honestly. Especially on the way home, you pass by my street going on the bus route because it's like... They make a balloon loop, go around, and then end up so they cross by you on the way home. I guess you can pick, like, take your pick your poison if, like, one of these ends is going to, like, get the short end of the stick. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't have got on on the back end? You couldn't have got 15 minutes more sleep? I guess the people here got the back end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. Let's speed back a little bit before the bus journey to the routine itself. Do you remember... What sort of time you woke up? What was for breakfast? Did you have a routine before you walked out the door? Yeah. My older sister would wake us up at like 6.30, wash her face, put clothes on, and then watch our array of televangelists required watching in my very Christian home. Oh, really? It Uh, was That was routine in the morning, the the televangelists are on? Every morning. Wow. Every morning, say a prayer and out the door to catch the bus oh, at wow. 7.20. Did you have any form of like uniform or anything you had to wear, or were you allowed to just wear street clothes? No, regular clothes. Okay. We did our shopping between Walmart and the BX on the military base in Fayetteville because my dad was retired Air Force. Sometimes I wanted to sag my pants like the other boys, and I was not allowed to do that. <laughs> Uh, just like the televangelists did you know exactly the same as the televangelists they were wearing the saggy pants yeah (laughs) that's who inspired (laughs) oh man so you would hop on the bus regular clothes you got to school you woken up about that time as we're getting to the school itself i like to get the bad stuff out of the way first because we like to talk about the good stuff on this podcast so if we're knocking the bad stuff out of the way first if you're walking in to your school what are the classes you dreaded what are the classes you want nowhere near your schedule you know i was thinking about this i don't remember dreading any classes really what i remember is dreading maybe some teachers Mm. there was like some social studies classes that were like nothing to look forward to because 
either very boring or very strict or set in their ways I did not look forward to. Mm-hmm. But other social studies teachers, just by the human connection, I looked forward to going to. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know if there were like subjects that I dreaded. Mm. Were there subjects that you struggled with more, even if you didn't dread them? I don't know. I mean, math was always fun. Uh, Are you the perfect student? Are we going to find out you were straight A's? Everything was easy. School was great. Mm-hmm. Lewis no, is a genius. I'm, I'm a bit of an overthinker, so gotcha. I was a slow test taker, mm. um, especially as I got up in high school. But uh, I mean, that was mostly on a roll, cool. A's and B's. Yeah. So you didn't really go in dread. You just dreaded a few specific teachers, and it wasn't really specific to any subjects. It was just those teachers that were a bit set in their ways or a bit too strict yeah. in what they did. Yeah. I'm, Correct. And that wasn't a common theme at the school? Were more teachers good than bad? I'm going to just go with the politically correct low-hanging fruit and say, yes, more <laughs> teachers were good than bad. We may crack something open later on. We'll see. We'll see. But... <laughs> so, so the bad, we're just making sure those strict, boring, set-in-their-ways teachers and nowhere near the schedule. We're making sure good teachers are on the schedule. So your first class of the day, if you're picking out your favorite class and maybe the teacher that comes with it, what are you starting your day with at North Stanley? Yeah, it'd be great to start the day at North Stanley with Mr. Richard Cosgrove, I believe his first name was. Gotcha. Social studies. What was it about Mr. Cosgrove that made you want that first on the list? He was just very fun an unpredictable but thorough. Mm. I don't know where he was from, but he didn't have the typical Southern drawl that was the norm in my town. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of talked like this, and it was a very, you know, he was like a character, you know. <laughs> Whenever you tell him, like, thanks, thanks, Mr. Cosgrove, and you'd be like, Wilkes. You know, <laughs> like, I never heard anyone do that. I still say that to this day. <laughs> He's just a character. He, he made learning fun and interesting. So is he the sort of teacher that could have taught anything and you were showing up for that yeah. class and that class would have been great? Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. hearing that. So we're starting the day with Mr. Cosgrove, uh, Mr. Richard, possibly Cosgrove in social studies. And then after that, is there any sort of break in the day? Did you have like a recess or a break or anything? I'm going to take an educated guess and say no. Okay. You just kept going with the classes until lunch came along. So that's exactly yeah. what we're going to do yeah. on the podcast as well. So you got out of Mr. Cosgrove's class. Everything's great. Everything's rosy. You're having a good time. Even if the bus has taken a little bit too big of a loop to get to school, you're happy because you've just had him. <laughs> what is the second class on the schedule? You know what? Maybe we go to chorus. Chorus. Chorus was a class. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorites. Miss Asa Hudson. She sort of like famously in our town developed these methods of how to make high school kids from a small country town sound really good and big and full. Wow. The year was basically preparing for like end of the year concert. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It started with like our vocal warm ups and 
Do you still yeah. use those today? Yeah. Some of them, yeah. It's awesome. Particularly, ha ha ha, the big fell in the mud. It's <laughs> a fun one to do. That class, is that when you started to realize that music was what you wanted to do as a career, or had you already decided that? Ms. Hudson was convinced that I needed to be a classical singer as a career. Wow. I didn't really take that seriously. I mean, I, I took it seriously again that I was really passionate about learning from her and we did all district, all state chorus mm -hmm. every year. And she really helped me connect my body and my voice. And But in terms of doing it as a career, I, I didn't figure out that that was really possible until after I left home. Really? Yeah. When you were in school at that time, if you're being told that you could be a classical singer, you should be a classical singer, did the Lewis back in high school think he knew what he wanted to be back then, or was he still figuring it out? Still figuring it out. Lewis back in high school hadn't really thought that far ahead yet. Because mm -hmm. my band director was also convinced that like, I needed to go to school for tuba or euphonium or low brass instruments that I was playing in band. The only people I knew that doing it professionally were the teachers. Mm. I didn't have a strong of a conviction about going to school to be a teacher, but I also didn't have anything to fill in that blank with. So I didn't really know. Mm -hmm. You were just happy to figure it out along the way. Yeah. Very glad you did, mate. It all worked out in the end, didn't it? Oh, dude. <laughs> it all worked. It all took out in the water. <laughs> was it the sort of choir or chorus class where... Did everyone take it seriously? Were some students just sort of forced to be there and really didn't want to be part of it? Yeah, it was an elective, but I think Miss Hudson was also, she didn't waste words. She was very, very nice and kind and sweet human being, mm. but she didn't waste words. In general, she was the type of person you, you wanted to do well by. I feel like there's always maybe a, a couple students that maybe would mail in or pick the elective, like thinking they were just, just going to have an easy class. Mm -hmm. But even they, to my memory, by the end of the semester would find something in themselves. Oh, great. I could talk to you about that for a whole lot longer, but I know i got to get on to the rest of the day. Your second class of the day is done. Now we're moving into possibly the most important and sometimes controversial part of the day, and that is lunch. So... Wait, the big question, very personal question, did you bring, did you buy? I did both at times. Mm. When I was bringing sandwich of choice as a favorite, which was too complicated for lunch in the mornings, was just old-fashioned southern tomato sandwich, two pieces of white bread, slabs of tomato on either side, mayo on the bread, tomato, slab them together, chop them up into little squares like five each, uh -huh. each way. That was just the most refreshing, yummy, golden, savory thing to me in terms of sandwiches in my childhood. I've never heard of a tomato sandwich. That is the first time in my life I've oh, heard wow. of that. I've got some in the fridge. That's probably going to be what I'm going to have after this. You've, you've opened oh, up dude, a world of possibilities Let me know what me. you think. I will. Oh, I will. Wow. I will. That's a little wild to me. For some reason, I don't know why, that sounds like something the British would do. That sounds like a sandwich we would do, but 
I've never heard of it in my life. So I guarantee it's going to be wow. right up my street. So you got your tomato sandwich, and then what kind of juice goes with it? Please don't tell me tomato, because that's got to be too much tomato. Uh, no, definitely no. <laughs> um, the disclaimer here is that I was honestly happy with, like, cheese, bologna, Miracle Whip. Boom. Yeah, slap it together and you're good. Yeah, and if I was in really in a hurry... If I put like a piece of cheese on a piece of bread and just smush it, happy. <laughs> yeah. You're a man of simple pleasures. Are you still that person today? I'm still a man of simple pleasures. My assistant Daniel will tell you that like if I need to order food at any time, I've probably ordered the same thing no less than 30, 40 times. I'm just like, yeah, chicken breast, hail, and mushrooms. <laughs> cool. Repeat. I'm easy in that regard, I think. I was hoping you were going to say it's Daniel's job to smush down the cheese sandwich. Just like, <laughs> he's a, he does a really good smush on the cheese sandwich. You know what? He would. <laughs> I could say that with comments. <laughs> he's already staring daggers at me, furious for, for coming up with his <laughs> new part of his job. So you've got, you got those sandwiches, and then what would the juice be? Either apple or orange. Again, simple. When I was little, Kool-Aid was great. You know, fruit punch was awesome, but that was... We're building the perfect day, so is it fruit punch? Oh, well, if it's a perfect day, I think it's, oh, bologna and cheese. I don't remember if we ever, like, grilled it. Probably something like that and fruit punch and the little, like, grenade-looking... Uh, plastic thing it can't be any of the fancy stuff is when you were a kid no, it has to be fancy stuff. it's like it's like a little plastic it looks like a little plastic grenade with a little metal thing that you tear off whatever if you can get it off yeah <laughs> like those people that say coke tastes better in the glass bowl fruit punch just tastes better in the plastic grenade it just tastes there's something about Come the plastic on. grenade that yeah. just tastes so good yeah. so we're grilling that bologna and cheese and having our grenade Woo! of fruit punch which yeah. is pretty fair that grill maybe from like revisionist history uh-huh. or like me now being like oh that'd be good but we did <laughs> used to do grilled cheese sandwiches I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, I can't eat none of that shit no more. No, no. I'm literally lactose intolerant, uh, gluten sensitive. Like, I literally I can't eat none of that shit no more. <laughs> We've gone from being like wood chippers to 40-year-old paper shredders that just, like, it doesn't even work. Like, the sensor doesn't yeah. even work anymore. <laughs> it's not going. I want it to go in, but it's not. It's just not doing it. So you got that perfect lunch set up for you. We have two more things to do before your day is completely set. One of them is your last and final class. What is your last and final class of the day? Band. Band. Right. Oh, that was a full-on class at your school. Yeah. Nice. Often the last class of the day. And for sports teams, it was more of a marching band? All of the above. In football season, it was marching band. And the other semester, it was concert band. Were you more the concert leaning, or did you just love being around the instruments regardless? Regardless. I did both. I was drum major my senior year. Mm-hmm. I marched drums one year. I marched mostly sousaphone and tuba. My back probably suffers from it today. I marched a mellophone one year, which is like a marching French horn. Oh, okay. Concert band. I played concert tuba. I, I played Barry saxophone one year, baritone sax. Did trombone concert band, euphonium. For anyone who doesn't know Lewis, 
if he sits here and lists off every instrument he can play, this podcast is going to be four hours long because <laughs> I, for some reason you have the ability to pick up just about anything and play it well. Was that where this all started? I mean, it all started before school. I was playing before preschool. Band didn't start until sixth grade or seventh grade, I believe, actually. That's when I got into wind instruments, I'd say. Has any instrument ever seemed too intimidating for you? Yes. Double reeds. Double reeds. Have you tried or you just you just don't even want to get into that world? I toyed with bassoon. I toyed with oboe. My sister brought home an oboe for a couple of semesters. Like the band director wanted her to try to learn oboe because she was like the best she was like the best clarinetist in our school, my older sister. But it was like, we have decent clarinets, but we wanted to do a piece of music that had oboe. We didn't have any oboe players because it was a small town and even smaller band. So she had brought it home for a while, and I subsequently would just try all the things she brought home. Double reeds are just like, I got off the train pretty quickly because, yeah. like, I gravitated towards instruments that were like, it was a low curve to not sounding like trash. Right, right. You know what I mean, yeah. if you pick up a drum, and a drum, uh, pick up a drumstick and hit a drum, the worst you're going to sound is like a drum. Yeah. Or like a loud drum. You know what I mean? Right. You pick up an oboe, the best you're going to sound is like a shitty duck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, people work for like a year of daily hours and hours every day just to not sound like trash. Right. Baritone saxophone, single, just a reed on a mouthpiece. From picking it up from the jump and learning the basic mechanics, you can find the sound of the instrument. You know what I mean? It's a low curve. So double reeds, oboe, bassoon, I quickly put them right back down. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Mate, at this point, I think we've got most of your day together. There is one piece of the puzzle that we have to do. But before we get there, I'm going to have a quick speed back through your day. What got us to this point? So you woke up at about 6.30 in the morning. Your older sister woke you up, got ready. You went downstairs. You were watching the televangelists. And then you run out the door to go and get the bus. You didn't really know why you got the bus at this stop and not when it came all the way back around. But you got on the bus at 7.25. Then it did about 16, 17 loop-de-loops around the neighborhood before it eventually got to the school. And then the school's going to start at about 8.30 in the morning. Once you started at 8 30 in the morning you're making sure that none of the boring strict set in their ways teachers are anywhere near your schedule no specific classes just those bad teachers aren't anywhere near the schedule of which there weren't too many at north stanley so you were lucky but you're starting the day with social studies geography with mr richard cosgrove he's just a delight everyone at the school loved him fun unpredictable but thorough you're really starting your day there there was no break after that so you just jumped straight into chorus with miss hudson she said you should be a classical singer you were also told you should be a tuba player you're like ah, oh, i don't know about that i'm gonna figure it out and you did figure it out look at you now and then you've gone from that and jumped into lunch and your lunch was going to be a sandwich it was going to be a grilled bologna and cheese sandwich you don't know if your body could still process it today probably not maybe a tomato <laughs> sandwich on the side if you feel an extra special be got to make sure the juice is there you got to make sure the fruit punch the plastic grenade fruit punch has got to be there otherwise this day's completely ruined 
mind. It is pointless. You have that for lunch and then you're going into band and depending on the time of year, maybe it was marching band, maybe it was concert. You were playing all sorts of instruments except for the double reeds. Don't put the double reeds in his hand. You're going to ruin his day if you're giving him the double reeds. That is your day to this point. How your day finishes now is you have to go into the auditorium at your school. You go in there and all the kids of today are gathered at North Stanley High School and they are there to hear you speak and they want advice for their future and they want to know what they should do if they want to be successful in life or what they shouldn't do if they want to be successful in life. So what are the big lessons that you are sharing with those kids of today back at school to take with them Lewis Cato? Travel. Travel. That's a new one. I like that. Travel. Get out of Dodge. Yeah? Look at Dodge from outside of Dodge. <laughs> get out of Dodge. And then and then where you are, get out of that. Dodge, yeah. Dodge. Dodge, Dodge. You can come back. But, like, there's nothing I think that's been more valuable to me than getting the heck out of Dodge. Having some perspective on this small town that I grew up in mm-hmm. and, and where it fits in the world, how it measures up, like how it compares to like completely other cultures and ways of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, watching the news from outside of the country changed my life, shifted all my perspective on things that I heard my whole life. Travel. Number one advice I would give to, in an auditorium full of like my classmates what age were you when you started to travel and you started to have that realization? I was about 21. Mm-hmm. I left the country for the first time as an adult. I was playing in South Africa with Donald Harrison and Hugh Masekela. And uh, that was the beginning of just eyes being open to the rest of the world. Mm. I had a big realization in my life at a similar age where, of course, I've traveled a fair amount. I'm not from this country. Yeah. When when I was about that age, you started to have this realization that you were taught as, you know, everything is gospel. What the teachers are teaching you is 100% correct. And whatever a teacher thinks is 100% correct, whether it's related to the class or outside of the class, whatever. These teachers are these sages. Until you sort of get a little bit older in school and you start to realize, wait, I don't know if I agree with this person, which is fine. Like, that's a fine place to be, but you're starting to learn critical thinking and you're starting to learn to develop your own opinions on things. Not only did that happen in school, you know, it starts to happen with your parents. You know, you used to think your parents were right on absolutely everything and you reach an age where it's like, wait. I think I might be right on this. I think they might have messed that up. And it's kind of a weird revelation. And then you expand it even further and you start to think about your community, where you grew up and, you know, a a community that's maybe set in its ways. And you realize, wait, I don't think everything my town does or my city does is perfect because I've been to this other place and I've discovered it. And then expand it to your state, your country, whatever. You just start to develop your own opinions on all of it. And I remember saying to someone back in college once how important it is to get outside of, for lack of a better word, the four walls of America to sort of see the outside perspective looking in. 
because yes when you're in the madness it's kind of like being in a toxic relationship like if you're in a bad relationship you kind of can't see it when you're in it like all your friends are like he needs to get out he needs to get out of that relationship but yeah. you can't see because uh, you've got yeah. the rose-colored glasses on that as yeah. soon as you're yeah. out of it as soon as you're on the other side you're like oh yeah that was really bad that looked really bad didn't it and you're like yeah because you removed yourself and got a new perspective on things which no one judges you for thinking that at the time for struggling to get out of it whatever but just the importance of being to step back and look at it from a different perspective and be objective about the situation and not be surrounded by how you're supposed to think and how you're supposed to feel. So I think traveling is a fantastic analogy. Also just the beauty of the world and the places you've been where you just experience an entirely different culture. And it just, it means so much. Has there been any way you've been on tour or anything like that, where it's just a country and a culture that really just expanded your mind? Maybe the biggest expansions was Asia. Really? I spent a lot of time in in Tokyo and, Different some of the other cities in, in Japan, like Osaka and Nagasaki, Sapporo. Man, that, that was maybe like one of the most extreme culture shock, brain exploder cultures to witness. Just because everything is so different. They approach life differently. Yeah. Definitely, it's just older than anything here. You know, Europe's mm. the same, but like, mm. I mean, culturally, like, Japan is just like value of human life in general is different. Yeah. Like I grew up in a place where like everybody hunts. My classmates in elementary school were like everybody had BB guns and were like hunting squirrels and things. And like nobody has guns in Japan. Same as you guys. It's like a totally different thing. But like they fish and the sushi is like a huge part of their history and culture. It's just everything was like completely different. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Same experience for me, you know, back in the UK of us having, it is a country that's so rich with history, but also there are still other countries in the world that are so much richer with a very different history. And me coming over here and people, people trying to impress me with houses in America that like, look at this home. This was built in 1846. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> there's there like, was a house bro, we down got the- water we got water fountains in london that are older than this <laughs> the, the tree. i had a house down the road from where i grew up that was built in like 846 so but okay <laughs> it's still standing to this day but i'm not wow. impressed yeah it's just crazy so that's wow. wonderful yeah. advice mate travel see things experience something else wonderful advice for the students at north stanley and with that mate you have completed your last first day. So I want to congratulate you on graduating from last first yes. day Academy. Yes. Is, yes. You got there. Finally. <laughs> Before I let you go, mate, is there anything you want to plug, promote, talk about, share with the people? Oh yeah. Well, I do have an album coming out called Reflections. Mm-hmm. As you noted, coming out later this year. We're looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. We've got some really fun uh, late show band, let's call them performances in the works right. coming up soon. Keep an eye out for both of those things. And uh, yeah, we're gonna, in the meantime, I'm going to try to keep 
raising the, the vibrations that we're putting out from the show. It's hard to get much higher than you have, mate. But to everybody out there who's listening, also follow the gang on social media, Lewis and Joe and India and Nego and John and Lewis and Corey, because I know they post so regularly about other shows they're doing. If you ever want to go and see them live, that's such a great way to be in touch and see these absolutely fabulous people. Very excited for the new album, mate. I look forward to seeing it drop, hopefully being there for an album release party like I was for the first one. I'm going to come to everyone. You're not going to be able to get rid of me. So thank you once again, mate. Very, very excited for it. And thank you for joining me on the podcast. It was so much fun. Such a pleasure. Tell your mother I said hi. I will do. And I'm going to leave that in the podcast so she definitely hears it. And so ends another Last First Day at the Last First Day Academy. Thank you so, so much to Lewis Cato for joining us for his Last First Day for the first last time. Be sure to go and check out his new single, Reflections, wherever you get your music, and keep an eye out for the full album coming in August. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to spread the word, give us a rating, follow us on social media, and comment with your most ridiculous school lunches. I want to hear what crap you put in your system that you simply could not again today. Thank you to Ruben Alexander for the theme music. Thank you to Acast for hosting. Thank you so much to you for listening. And thank you so much to my next guest, who is currently finishing up their homework, getting ready for bed, probably going to get woken up by mum in the morning, about five times before they actually get out of bed, and then be pushed onto the school bus so that mum can have a day at home alone so that they can finish their last first day with me for all of you. But until then... Class dismissed.